you know, he's, he says, you have to love. If you're my follower, you have to love. And we, oftentimes, we put sort of a, a trivial or a, our own understanding definition to love. You know, I love those who love me. I love those who are easy to love. I tolerate those who are difficult to love. And that's as good as love's going to get for them. Right? So in, in my own life, you know, I, there are some people in my life that are easy to love. Easy to love. My wife. She's easy to love. You know, she accepts me as I am. I mean, I'm quite aware. I look in the mirror. I know my flaws some. There's some things about myself I don't know my flaws. You know, she's aware of those too. And yet, she continues to accept me. That's one aspect of love. Um, she continues to be kind to me when I don't deserve kindness. Uh, she continues to serve when I don't deserve service. She's easy to love. Now, there are other people in my life that are difficult to love. You know, they're the problem people. Um, they're not all bad. But there, there are aspects of their life that great. Now, I'm not going to make mother-in-law jokes, okay? But my mother-in-law is one of those people right now. She is uh, approaching 80, and she's just beginning to show signs of dementia. And uh, it's, it's hard, it breaks our hearts. For most of the time I've known her, she has treated me uh, like her son. Tremendously kind, loving, serving, giving woman. And most of that still remains. Even though she can't take care of herself now, she can't live alone. She has episodes where she, you know, would leave the microwave on and set the time for an hour. You know, that, that kind of stuff is starting to go on. So the doctor's like, no, she has to live with somebody. So she spends time with, she lives with Melanie's sister, and then she spends some time and lives with us part of the time. And she still has her quiet time. I know she prays for us. Um, she loves the Lord. But because of the things that are going on related to old age, sometimes she throws temper tantrums. Just out of nowhere. Something happens and she... You know, she's like, and she gets really angry really quick. It's times like those. It's not easy to love her. And I have to choose to put my arms around her, to hug her, to reassure and say, you know, Mom, we're just not going to be grumpy. That's just not right, you know. And and she and and usually that's all it takes to this point. That's all it takes. She snaps back. Oh, you're right. You know, I'm sorry. She, in some ways, she can't help it, though. And that makes it difficult. Uh, there have been relationships in my life in the past, work relationships, that were, the person was just wicked. They used people. You know, I don't think I've had, that, that's been a rare experience in my life. I praise God. For some of you, though, uh, you're in jobs where kind of the foundational principle is they're going to use you up and give you as little as they can. Hard, you know, how do you love somebody like that? So we want to turn to God's word because 
there really is help there. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. It's a command. It's a command. It's for all people at all times. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm bound by an obligation to the one I serve to act in a loving way towards them and not by my definition. Not by my definition. See, that's where, you know, we're okay with that as long as we can do the, you know, shuck and jive a little bit and we get to use our definition. But he says we need to love as he loved us. <laughs> he went to the cross for us. He, he died for us. He put up with a bunch of whiny disciples for us. You know? So I don't get to give my definition. I have to use his definition of love. It's a love that lays down its life for those that don't love back. You got somebody in your life like that? Somebody that doesn't love back. Now, you got, you've got a handout there that you can fill in notes on. You may want to find a white space and, and write that name down. Don't let anybody else see it, but, you know, just, or a symbol that symbolizes that person. You know, not devil's horns, that's not appropriate. But, you know, some other little sign that um, this is the person that I need to apply this message to in my life, the one that's difficult to love. Now, in dealing with this, today I want to focus on a passage of Scripture that is very profound and very mysterious, and yet it has practical implications for us. So you're going, to, you're going to see bits and pieces of it. Before they display the whole thing up there, I'm going to read the whole thing so you get the... It's a prayer. It's Ephesians 3, and it starts with verse 14. And I have old eyes, so they're getting better. But I need glasses. So I'm going to read this prayer to you in its entirety, and then we're going to break it down and look at piece by piece. So in Ephesians 3, starting with verse 14 and going through verse 21, Paul writes this prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge. Ah, excuse me. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The first thing I want to call your attention to is, in a preliminary way, is in this passage you'll notice that in verse 17, one part of it, it says... 
that you being rooted and, and grounded in love, rooted and established in love. The first thing I want to point out is that love has a root and love has a foundation. Now, when you think about roots, what do roots do? Roots feed nourishment up into the plant, into the tree, so that it has the capacity to bear fruit. You know, the cycle is food's made in the leaves, it goes down and is stored in the root, and then out of that root comes fruit and new growth. So you have to think about what's the root. What's the root of love? And from that previous passage, the root of love is Jesus Christ. He's the root. What do you think of when you think of foundations? Foundations give stability. They give stability to buildings, to whatever you want to put up. The foundation is the thing that causes it, enables it to stand for years and years and years and years. I don't know how old your house is, but if you go over to Europe, they're still living in houses that were built in the 1200s. That's a really old house. Really old. And yet, I assume it's because of the foundations, but at least the repairs to the foundations, they have to keep the foundation strong or that building becomes unlivable. And who's the foundation of our life? Again, it's Jesus Christ. It always comes back to Him. We're children of His life, of His standards, of His definition of love. So when we talk about how am I going to love like Jesus, how am I going to have this foundation in my life? What are we going to do about this? Well, the first thing is you need to accept and experience Christ's love for you. Again, in that passage, verses 16 and 17 in, in whole say, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. And he goes on to talk about the rest of it. So, so the first thing we need to do is we need to accept and experience God's love through faith. Now this gets back to the very essence of the problem of mankind. We once had this. It was once ours. The, the image in the garden, when you read the Genesis account of God and man, you see there that he made man to fellowship with him. He, he made man to spend time in perfect harmony with his creator. The creator and man in the garden. It's a real, it's a beautiful picture. But we lost it. Adam and Eve were tempted to doubt God's goodness. They were tempted to doubt the sufficiency of what he provided. They were tempted to think that there's something else. There's something else that, you know, it might, might be better. There might be something out there. God's holding back on us. 
There, there's something else out there. And so they chose to walk away from that relationship with God and to try and fill it with other stuff. And we are still trying to fill our lives with other things. You know, it, there's a hole in our heart from the time that we're born that wants to be filled with a kind of love that never changes, that always is something that satisfies us, that will fill us full, but we don't know what it is. From the time we're born, we long to be loved, to be cared for, to be accepted, to feel the warmth and permanence of being in loving relationships that will never change. And yet we find as we grow that that doesn't happen. And we begin to look for things to fill the hole, to fill the gap. Some of us, respond. you know, we all respond differently to that, to that sense of there's some incompleteness here. What will complete me? What will make me finally experience peace? Some of us respond to it with kind of a restlessness. Some of us respond to it with kind of frenetic activity. You know, where some of us get depressed. We give up hope. We don't like the feeling, but somehow it's normal. And we don't realize we need a new normal. You know? Some people focus their life as they grow. They have to choose something to live for. They don't know what it is, but some of them choose stuff. America is a land of stuff. And if you want to live your life for stuff, there's more than enough stuff to try and pile in that hole. But it always falls short and it ends up just being rubble. Just rubble. Some people live for experiences. I mean, you've known somebody that their whole life is this ski trip, this bungee jump, this trip to the Bahamas, this trip to Hawaii, this helicopter skiing. Uh, You know, as time goes on, if they have the money and resources, it has to become more and more and more of an adrenaline rush to try and have the ultimate experience. You know, people die trying to have the ultimate experience. And if they live, they find out, oh, what's next? That was okay. But, you know, after the five or sixth time that you've, you know, almost died jumping out of an airplane, you know, it's like, well, okay, that's kind of boring. You know, I know what the feeling's going to be and that kind of stuff. Some people, they're not going to live for stuff or experiences. They lust for power. They want the ability to tell people what to do in ever larger numbers. And in its ultimate dysfunction, we see the dictators of the world and the awful things they've done just because they could. And even in our world, you know, we're not surrounded by dictators, but, you know, the the most horrific things we read in the paper are the people that do thrill kills and, and stuff like that. It's just like, 
They abuse other people just because they can and they want the rush of doing something forbidden. All of that to try and fill a hole that can't be filled by anything except Christ and his love. And the great thing, though, is even though we've lost it and even though our hearts are full of the rubble of our attempts to fill it, God continues to love us. And he promises that if you come to him by faith, see the passage says that he might dwell in your heart through faith. That if you come to him by faith, he promises that he will come and dwell in you and he will begin to fill the hole with himself. With himself. And that's something that's worth contemplating. And, and as you think about that, some of you are here and you've never actually pulled the trigger. You know, you never act. You know, you like to hang out with Christians because they treat you nice. You know, you like to say you're a Christian because it gives you cachet with those people that are nice to you. But in your heart of hearts, you're still throwing rubble in the hole. Hoping maybe... You can fill it without paying the price of what you think is like, I'll lose myself. What is it in that rubble that you want to keep? What the Bible says is that Jesus Christ came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Now, it doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't ha- God doesn't, doesn't remove the rubble in your life. He he displaces it bit by bit. He displaces it. And as you continue to walk with him, then he will replace all that garbage with other stuff that's more worthwhile. So if you want to experience what God has for you, you have to come to him by faith. If you want to love, if you want to love like God, if you want to love like Christ, the root and the foundation can only be established by faith. Now, now some of you have been had different religious backgrounds, okay? And the, the typical patterns that that are out there in the world are, okay, there's a set of beliefs that that they're the silver bullet, okay? You just you believe this, and somehow it's like at some point you'll believe it intensely enough that it'll just poing. And it'll all come together. It'll just kind of snap into place. It's not like that. Some of you have had backgrounds where it was like, there's a set of rules. You do these five things. You keep these seven principles. You confess these four things. And it'll all come together for you. God will like you really well. You know, it's the ritual. For some, it's the experience. For some, it's the ritual. But faith... That's different. Faith, I would say it's like abandonment, but it's not so much abandonment as it's a choice to relax and let go based on adequate information. It's like, it's like flying in an airplane. Anybody fully understand the physics behind flight? There may be somebody here trained in that. I know. I was trained in math and physics, so I understand a lot about it. But nobody's going to turn me loose flying an airplane. Okay? Nobody's going to turn me loose. So it's kind of like that. It's like you understand enough 
and you've seen enough planes fly and you've had enough friends fly safely that you're willing to buy a ticket, climb the stairs, sit in the seat and relax while the pilot takes this big heavy metal object up in the air with no visible means of support. You're up there. And you're flying along, and, and in faith, you sit in that seat. Now, did you abandon yourself? No, you didn't abandon yourself to something that had no basis in fact. There was adequate facts. You don't understand all about flight, but you understand enough to buy a ticket because you know it's going to be safe. It's like that with experiencing God's forgiveness and His love. Is You have adequate information that Jesus was who He said He was. He lived, died, and rose again. His followers were willing to die for that. Over the years, people have experienced changed lives, and there's written testimony after written testimony. It's adequate. So the first thing is to accept and experience this love of God. The second thing is once you've, once you've experienced it, once it's yours, once the root and the foundation is there in your heart, there next to all the rubble is the Spirit of God living inside of you. And He's beginning to reform you. Well, then, the challenge of this passage is to grasp God's love for you. To grasp it. Now, that's where the mystery of this passage really comes in. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of God, and to, or the love of Christ, and to know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, to know what can't fully be known, that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's big. It's bigger than you. Filled with all the fullness of God. He's, he's trying to put into words something that is impossible for our finite minds to fully grasp or fully experience in this life. This love must be experienced. It's beyond theory. It's not a theoretical thing. It would be easy, it's easy to make the statement, you need to love others as Christ loved you. And if that's all we do, just make the statement and walk out the door, then it has no body to it. But we know that when you walk out that door, you have to love those who are easy to love and you have to love those that are hard to love. And it's in those crisis moments where you don't want to love that this better have some reality or it's not worth trying. And he's trying to give you the sense of, well, as I was thinking about it, it's sort of like the idea of a fish in water. That little fish, maybe he's in a... He's in an aquarium. Well, what happens if you take that fish that's in the aquarium and you put him in a much bigger aquarium? The fish, at first, may shrink and be very cautious, but slowly will begin to explore that extra space. And if you put him in a freshwater lake, 
all of a sudden, it's much, much bigger. Um, I like cartoon movies. I especially like Pixar. And so I liked Finding Nemo. You know, I, I liked it. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's kind of a parallel in there. And that is the father, the father of Nemo. Because of things that happened in his life, he was very, very afraid for his son, the fish. And he wanted, he wanted every moment to, to stay in that little, whatever that was, the little anemone. He wanted to stay in there he, as much as possible, keep his little sunfish in there as much as possible. It was scary out there. It was dangerous out there. And the circumstances of his life changed when his son was lost. And against his will, he went beyond the reef. And, you know, if you, if you look at that through the eyes of this sermon, through my eyes, what I see there is, is a real lesson of what... Sometimes God leads us beyond ourselves kicking and screaming. You know, when it talks about, he's praying, I want you to know the width, the length, the depth, the fullness of God's love that's beyond knowing, and not to live in your teacup. You know, I, I'm in my teacup. It's this wide, and it's this long, and it's this deep. I can touch the walls, and it's really safe. Nothing unexpected is going to happen in my teacup. But God wants you out of the teacup. He wants to lead you in experiences of expressing and receiving love that puts you in the fish tank. And then once you're comfortable in the fish tank, then God's going to lead you through experiences that put you in the lake. And then as you continue to be obedient and you don't shrink back from what he intends for you to learn about loving the hard things that come into your life, loving like Jesus loves, you're going to be in the ocean. And like Nemo's dad, you're going to look at the black of the deep and you're going to step out because you're beginning to grasp more and more the love of God. This is a lifelong journey without end. It's a lifelong journey without end. You will never, what he's saying here, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. You will never come to the end of more to learn about God's love. I know in my own life, there was, there was an experience that was significant for me in, in kind of learning the lesson. I was born with really bad eyes. I mean, really bad. By the, by the time I finished third grade, I had... 2,400 in one eye and 2,600 in the other. And if it hadn't been correctable, I would have been legally blind. You know, but my glasses, you know, I feared nothing piercing my eye because it would have to go through, you know, a half inch of plexiglass to get there. And I was like, I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a kid. Well, that's out, you know. How am I to think about that? God, why couldn't you have made me with good eyes? Why did you give me eyes that were so lousy? I mean, they're worse eyes than anybody I know. They limit what I can do. 
And then I, I remember there was ex- when I was a teenager, you know, raging hormones, the whole thing. Um, we go to this amusement park, Six Flags, and we do the show thing there. And up on stage are, man, all these women who are scantily clad, moving around. And for, a, a, you know, a teenager with raging hormones, it's a real temptation about where you're going to let your eyes run. And finally, the sole voice in my head says, take your glasses off. So I did, and everything became this colorful, moving blur. You know? The temptation was not there anymore. And for the first time in my life, it was like, huh, you know, maybe in my case, bad eyesight is a gift of God. It's, it's a way of God showing his love and kindness for me if I will just embrace and accept that. The hard people in your life, <clears throat> they're sandpaper. They're not an ICBM. They're not there to destroy you. You know, you, you live, when you're a follower of Christ and you live in his love, his love is a bubble. You know, a long time ago, the story's about the bubble boy. You know, he had no immune system, so he had to live in this plastic bubble. God's love is sort of like that for you. He will not let anything into your life that will destroy you. He lets those things into your life that will refine you and will lead you into experiences where you come to understand more the width and length and depth and the capacity of love that God himself has for us as you learn to love the difficult, as he uses them as sandpaper to buff off the rough edges in your life. Now, if I were something with rough edges going on the grinding wheel, you know all those sparks fly? It gets hot. Am I, am I happy? You know, I'm this knife being sharpened. Psst, heat sparks. That's, the sparks are part of me leaving. You know, that, the spark, that, was, that was a bit of me. God, what, what are you saying here? I, I had to give that up? You ground that off? You removed it from my life? How does that make me a better me? But at the end, you know, the Old Testament has its way of, of talking about it. He says in the Old Testament, one of the prophets, you know, God's refined you. He's refined you. But not like silver or gold. I don't know what that is. It looks like a stick. <clears throat> I have refined you, but not like silver or gold. I've refined you in the furnace of affliction. Ooh, ooh, affliction? That's a bad word, affliction. I've refined you in the furnace of affliction. He's shaping your life, and it's an act of love. The bad stuff in our heart eventually gets removed like sparks on the grinding wheel. Like I said before, it gets displaced, not removed. What's left is a shiny, tempered edge of capacity to love others who are difficult to love. He sharpens us. He doesn't destroy us. The last thing is to trust God. You know, once we have begun following him, once we've accepted and experienced his love for that first time and ongoing, it's in our heart by faith. As we struggle in obedience to grasp the breadth of his love, then we have to trust. 
This last passage, last part of the passage, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I can imagine a lot. Right? I can. Do you ever scenario things? Of course you do. No, you wake up in the morning. I'm going to meet so-and-so. And this time, here's what's going to happen. He's always or she's always this way. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to be cool and I'm going to say, no, you can't treat me that way anymore. It's not going to happen. You know, we scenario it. And then we walk in and the reality is that they're especially grumpy today. What do you want? Oh, nothing. I'm just on my way to get coffee. You know, I'm back at my desk. It's, it's all right. It's all right. Ah, we go home. The scenario didn't work out. But in our lives, whatever you imagine the best would be for you, think about that. Whatever you imagine the best is for you, as you can imagine it. God's plans are immeasurably, you understand? You can't measure how much greater his plans are for you than what you can imagine. The problem is we always imagine the pleasant, the self-fulfilling, the glory bringing. We always imagine things that make us feel better right here, right now, when actually the plans he has that are immeasurably greater may involve some dark times. There may be some darkness on the painting to let the bright spots shine brighter. And so we, we have to trust him. When things don't go like we planned, when, we, when an, another difficult person comes in your life to love, or the person like my mother-in-law, you know, I know that over time it's going to become harder to love her, not easier. I don't know how much harder. I have to trust God that he will not lead Melanie and I into an experience of caring for her as she ages. That's beyond our capacity to show God's love to her. We trust that. Do we have the grace right now for what's going to come later? No. But as we walk by faith and trust that we will love her till the Lord calls her home, we will experience increasing depth and width and breadth of God's love that's immeasurably more than we know how to ask for now and which we wouldn't be able to bear the path that it's going to require. But when you trust, he changes you. And all that rubble in your heart that's left over from before you knew Christ and all the rubble that for some reason we keep throwing in the hole after we know Christ. Now, that's really stupid, you know. It's like, you know, the rubble is only going to make it more difficult to know more of Christ. And yet you continue to throw it in there. What are you thinking? God wants to fill that hole with himself. With the knowledge of him that surpasses knowledge. And, you know. When you trust him, when you trust him, his love softens the hard things. Um, in the last year, in my own life, you know, I think I, I, faced, I faced serious surgery. I faced the loss of my job. Um, 
we face the uh, the continued decline in my mother-in-law's health. Um, those are the th- those are three big ones, and I don't know how many small things. And in each of them, because by God's grace we approach them knowing that God loves me, He's going to demonstrate His love for me as we walk by faith through this. We didn't panic. At least we haven't yet. You know, we're finite. So we may, you know, we may come to the brink of panic. But we trust that God will sustain us through that. And because of that, we are experiencing God's love in more breadth and depth and width than we ever have before and will continue until the Lord returns. I can't say that I've had the experience of Nemo's father of having to swim into the great deep. But if he leads me into the great deep, I also know there will be adventures that I will look back with great fondness at how God journeyed with me and the exciting things that happened as we trusted him and walked with him. You know, in the Nemo case, you know, he got to, to surf the great current with the turtles. He met new friends. He actually found that he wasn't a coward. He could be courageous. He found courage in rescuing his son because there was something he loved more than himself that took him beyond his fears. That in itself is a good lesson. What do you love beyond yourself that will take you beyond your fears? You love it more than you love yourself enough to risk whatever it is you fear the most. And this becomes a cycle that leads us ever deeper into God's love. You're always on the brink, as crises come, of having to, in a fresh way, accept and experience God's love for you as the foundation to allow you to grasp, to reach beyond where you are, to try and grasp more of God's love to carry you through, and then to trust Him for the results. To trust Him for the results. Let me pray for you, okay? Lord God, this is a challenging message. It's challenging for me, and it's challenging for everyone out here. I ask you in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would apply it to our hearts, that your spirit would lead us to yourself and fill us. I pray, God, that you would watch over us and that we would more and more come to grasp your love in all its fullness, even though it's beyond ever knowing fully. Lead us on, God, in Jesus' name. I want to suggest some next steps for you. You know, what what should you do about this? Well, the first thing, the most obvious thing is, if you've never actually accepted Christ's love and become a follower of his, you know, done that reasonable surrender based on who he is, you need to do that. A logical next step in order to experience God's love and to get the most out of this whole series of 40 days of love is to become a true follower of Christ. To begin to get rid of the rubble and let God fill you. It may be that you may want to pray this prayer for yourself and for others. There's somebody you know that you really love that you want to pray this prayer for. That they would understand more and more the love of God that's beyond knowledge. And then finally, you may want to commit yourself to 
attend the rest of this 40 Days of Love series and the small group that's going on and to find out what it is and where God wants to expand your capacity to love beyond where you are now. You know, it's really not about you. It's about him using you to love other people. Thank you.